0: His business is buying and selling horses, but holding on to Signalman might be co-owner David Burnson's best transaction. We'll chat with him. Plus, with the biggest weekend of Derby preps upon us, we'll reset the picture on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll out. And they're
1: off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit by the.
0: This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. He'd been knocking on the door of a breakthrough win as a two-year-old last season. Signalman was second in the Claiborne Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile down the road at Churchill and then on just three weeks rest Signalman returned to run the Kentucky Jockey Club on Thanksgiving weekend there's one for long to go Signalman sneaking through on the inside of king for a day Puska Parfait battles on Laminate on the far outside final six teeth here's Signalman and Puska Parfait to the wire together Signalman inside got it that win earns Signalman 10 points on the road to the Kentucky Derby. But a seventh in the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream in February leaves him needing a strong finish in the bluegrass stakes to guarantee him a run for the roses. Joining us to talk about Signalman is one of his co-owners, David Burson who makes his first appearance here on In the Gate. This horse cost just $32,000 as a yearling purchase. That's because his father, General Quarters, had been, as a sire, about as working class as the guy who owned and trained him in his racing days. General Quarters was owned and trained by a Kentucky school teacher named Tom McCarthy. The horse had sired just two stakes winners from his first two crops. So what were your thoughts about this $32,000 purchase when your group acquired Signalman?
2: Uh, well, actually, I acquired him from Kenny McPeak, who I've known for a long time and never had a horse with him. And, you know, he said he would give me a call when he thought he had the right horse for me to get involved in. And, you know, with Signalman, and I got involved in him after his, he had run a couple of races.
0: I mean, that win in the Grade Two Kentucky Jockey Club in November at Churchill, horses don't run that often anymore in the United States on just three weeks' rest, So what was the thought behind wheeling him back so soon after using so much energy to circle the field from the 14 post in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile?
2: Well, you know, in the Breeders' Cup, he really didn't circle the field. He only really had one way to go, and that was to sort of take back and be put on the rail. So he, he was in last, but he was traveling on the rail trying to save as much ground. And Brian Hernandez seems to have a... I don't know what you call it. He's channeled Calvin Burrell or something. So he seems to ride the rails. You know, that seems to be his way to go. So, you know, we have a horse, Harvey Wallbanger, same thing. Brian Hernandez is on him, and he's you know sort of rides the rails.
0: Now, that horse was a long shot when he won earlier this year at Gulfstream. What was it like to win something like that when you, as someone who deals in the odds business, and we'll get to that in a minute, you knew what you were up against odds wise.
2: Well Harvey Wallbanger is he's an improving horse. He's a very different horse than Signal Man. You know, he's a much smaller, lighter, fleet footed horse, or Signal Man's like a sort of a powerful locomotive. And I mean Signal Man in the Breeders Cup Juvenile was sixty to one. But, you know, I've had a lot of experience with that. Stormy Liberal won the first Breeders' Cup race when he was thirty to one and when Stormy Liberal last year in Dubai, here, when he ran second, you know, just beating ahead in this race in Dubai last year, he was 60 to 1. You sort of look past the odds, particularly with younger horses. You know, you feel they're kind of changing and coming into their own. In the single man's case, Kenny McBeat just felt the horse came out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile so well, and he likes Churchill Downs so much that, you know, it was a, just a good spot to go back, run him because the plan was always to give him a break for about, you know, a couple of months break as he transferred from a two-year-old to his three-year-old age and then bring him back. So it just the race sort of fit. McPeak thought he was going well, and, you know, we were able to get that race into him, which is one more into his foundation.
0: Now, after that break, he finished seventh in the Fountain of Youth in his first run this year. What did you make of that effort?
2: Oh, we really weren't that surprise, to be honest. Put it this way, it's a lot better to run seven on the second Saturday in March than it's the second Saturday in May. So, yeah, and the plan was, you know, Kenny's just trying to prepare the horse for the Kentucky Derby. He had been off a layoff. You know, he's probably a bit undertrained, and I think McPeak has admitted that. You know, he sort of light on him. And, you know, in that race, I mean, people don't realize that he lost his shoe You know, off his right front, which is the worst possible shoe. Any shoe losing in a race is bad. But on a speed favoring track, you lose your right front. That's a bad shoe to lose. And so he had plenty of excuses in the race for that. You know, I think you'll see a much more representative run in the bluegrass, you know, for where he is. And, you know, hopefully that sets him up for the Derby.
0: You run a number of businesses related to wagering on horse racing, particularly for big players who bet using computers. Now, that's a very cut-and-dried, black-and-white numbers game, sort of. How are you able to separate that world from the experience of dealing with the flesh-and-blood animal himself, like Signalman?
2: You, you sort of have to, you know, I mean, one's my job and one's sort of my second job. <laughs> and once why I make the money, and one's why I spend the money? Um, you know, but you do you get a lot of insight into what we do it's very pragmatic the The area that we're in which you know, we call c a w computer system wagering you know it's just digesting enormous amounts of data and you know try to find what is really happening, you know find the inconsistencies or the advantages or the value that the data reveals to you. And so you know, I was sitting the other night here with Dale Romans, pretty successful trainer in his own right. And I was with he and Peter Miller, our trainer. And, you know, Peter was explaining to Dale that I probably know more about what Dale does well and what Dale doesn't do well than Dale does. (laughs) You know, so just from what the data shows, you know, that's what we do. We just do that, trying to calculate the, advantages that a horse has. It's its no different than really trading in stock markets or futures markets or anything that's along those lines.
0: But then you're dealing with the flesh and blood as opposed to a piece of paper or a stock slip.
2: Right, but, you know, I, put this way, I make no decisions on horses that I own based on what we do on the other side of the equation. All that I do is, sometimes it will steer me in the right direction for, you know, certain trainers or or certain horses that might do better on different surfaces, those sorts of things. And, you know, I very rarely interject with a trainer, you know, unless he asks my advice, which they do now and then, you know, what do you think of this spot? I blend a lot of that with just my, what I see with horses, you know, over time I've been at it for a long time. So, you know, there's certain things that I look at, you know, in two-year-old sales that a, a male horse has to do, and two things that a filly has to do in a two-year-old in sale training. If they stop doing those things, then I just pass on them. You know, or if I don't, if I see it on a track where, you know, they're doing it younger, you know, they've actually rid, run a few races and they, they're doing some things that, you know, that I'm keen on, then I'll try to jump in on the horse. You know, try, usually, I get involved with horses once they're once they more, um, you know, once I've seen them run, you know, from from an ownership perspective, you know, I I'm, don't buy yearlings or any of that sort of stuff. I never get in on that. David
0: Burns, and co-owner of Kentucky Jockey Club, winner Signal Man joins us here on In the Gates. Signal Man is scheduled to run in the Bluegrass at Keeneland on Saturday. Signal Man races in the Eastern United States, of course, with trainer Ken McPeak. But you live in California, not far from Del Mar. As both a horse owner and owner of large businesses involved in wagering, what do you make of the announced reforms at Santa Anita?
2: Well, actually, I'm now a Nevada resident, but I still maintain you know a very close connection to San Diego and Del Mar. And I think the changes, they're good and bad. You know, I think it's going to take a a while for people to get used to it. I think the Strana Group has made an effort, at least, to try to lessen the delta between international racing and American racing. You know, I think there's a middle ground somewhere in there. I think there's certain medications, I guess, in California and in the U.S., quite frankly, that should be banned. I think there's certain treatments that should be banned on horses. I think there's certain medications that are required. Lasix actually, if it's used right, is more, it helps horses than actually enhances their performance. So, you know, they're, with cutting the Lasix in half and this sort of thing, they're, they're moving in the right direction. But, for instance, you know, we had a horse, Roy H, that scratched out of the Dubai, you know, races because of an abscess. If he was in the U.S., we would have been able to treat that not in any sort of performance enhancing way, but just antibiotics and that sort of thing. And he likely would have been able to run, but because of the strict medication rules in Dubai, we were unable to do that. So he, you know, made the decision to scratch the horse and get him on the medication so he could heal up.
1: At the top of the stretch here, and Frolic Moore is still in front. On the outside, Signalman comes on the attack. The two of them joined now by Lymanite on the outside, and in the center, Lion Dance. Now it's Lymanite. Lymanite has taken the lead. Lion Dance is down the center, and Signalman's down toward the inside. The three of them are going to come down to the line. It is going to be tight on the
0: wire. Maybe, maybe Signalman. And one more on Signal Man before we go. How would you like to see his race in the bluegrass set up for him?
2: Probably just like it's set up when he ran there at Kingland in October or even the jock Club stakes at Churchill when he ran after the Breeders Cup Juvenile. You know, I think he's a horse that has more speed than he showed in the sound of use and he pretty much can sit anywhere in the track. He's obviously not a front runner. So the more pace probably, the better for us. But the horse is a very tactical horse. I mean, you can sort of put him anywhere you want. He's like a big sort of locomotive. You know, he's got pretty much everything you would want in a horse to be coming up to the Kentucky Derby. He's sort of like an old-time Kentucky Derby horse when you know people used to look at things like dosage and number of runs when they were two-year-olds and how many races they won around two turns as two-year-olds and You know, they used to have like a list of 10 things back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that people looked for for Kentucky Derby contenders, where they were in the experimental handicap and all that. And he pretty much ticks all those boxes. So, you know, he's kind of like an old-time horse running against, you know, the new style that they do that are, you know, very lightly raced going into the Derby, two and three and four starts, that sort of thing. So. But for the bluegrass, I mean, pretty much, I think he can adapt to anything. He's shown that. It doesn't matter if he's outside, inside, or if there's speed on, or if he needs to sort of put the pressure on, he can do that.
0: Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck on Saturday. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir.
2: All right, no problem. Thanks a lot.
0: We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, we'll reset the Kentucky Derby picture on the eve of the biggest weekend of preps, the Santa Anita Derby, the Wood Memorial, and the Bluegrass. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the In the Gate Podcast.
1: Meanwhile, up front, they left Maximum Security alone, and Maximum Security cuts the corner and opens up. Maximum Security, less than a quarter
0: of a mile to go, and he's six on top. Second is Bodie Express. He's running a huge race down at the inside in Code of Honor. Hidden scroll at a one-pace bourbon war on the outside, but Maximum Security proves he's the real deal with a gate-to-wire win in the Florida
1: Derby. Manguzi up on the outside, goes the front over Swift Rose Stubbins. Now down the outside, Grayman. Magician and Placu Parfait over on the inside. Manguzi joined by Gray Magician. Placu Parfait is finishing hard along the inside. Placu Parfait went to the front. Gray Magician went with it. Placu Parfait in front and Plu Parfait takes it out. Plu Parfait takes out the Derby.
0: Jose Ortiz, the reigning Eclipse Award jockey here in the United States, might have found his Kentucky Derby mount, and he only had to go seven thousand miles away to do it. Pluque Parfait. Coming in first, the first American win in the UAE Derby. a 100 points guarantees his starting spot on the first Saturday of May. You also heard the Florida Derby with maximum security, putting them all to sleep and winning and guaranteeing his spot in the run for the Roses. What do we make of these races? And, of course, with the biggest weekend of derby preps coming up, the Santa Anita Derby, the Wood Memorial at Aqueduct, and the Bluegrass, we're really into it now, and to get us a bit different perspective on the Kentucky Derby. It is our great pleasure to welcome back, it has been way too long, British journalist and handicapper James Willoughby is with us here on In The Gate. So let's start with the two races that most recently happened. What do you make of Pluque Parfait, who kept good company in the States, couldn't really break through until he went over to the Middle East?
1: Thanks very much. Yeah, we had two fascinating trials, uh, one in Dubai, one in America over the weekend. Pluka Parfait and Grey Magician dominated, they ended up dominating the UAE Derby. And can I quickly say that as an international racing fan, the pleasure of watching Jose Ortiz and indeed his brother Irad on a weekly basis is not lost on me. I think both of them are absolutely box office and two of the biggest assets American racing has. And Ortiz, he relies on timing and thinking in the way he rides racehorses, which is particularly important in the modern era. He elevates dirt racing to a level that makes you look great. And that was seen on Pluka Parfait. He was patient. He picked his way into the race. This colt, who was second to Signalman in the Kentucky Jockey Club, Stakes at the end of last year. Well, he'd been struggling. He'd had a few excuses on the Triple Crown Trail, but he got a perfect trip here thanks to Jose Ortiz and the good gallop in front of him. He split rivals in the straight. He stayed on strongly, but he posted an effort which I would make equivalent to something like a buyer speed figure of 91 or 92. In other words, I don't think it's relevant as far as the classics in America are concerned. And the same comments apply to Grey Magician, the runner up, who Probably his best effort in the Triple Crown trail races was his fourth to Gunmetal Grey in the Sham, and I think he hasn't really improved on that level. And really, this was a case of two horses habituated to the demands of dirt racing, who, given a good gallop, the other horses, the local horses in Dubai and those shipping in from Aidan O'Brien's stable, and the favourite Charlie Appleby's fairly a rather spindly type of horse, they were blown to pieces, whereas the seasoning and conditioning of the American horses that they picked up really stood them in good stead and it was that rather than class that carried the day for the first two.
0: Now for the Florida Derby it would be easy to say that maximum security gate to wire lulled them all to sleep and he's a one-dimensional speed horse on a track that favors speed how do you see it?
1: Well, this is a, it's a really good point, you, you, you've queued me up here, which is that I believe as a European fan of American racing and somebody who spends an awful lot of time studying it and betting on it and handicapping it, that we've rather got too one-dimensional in the way that we kind of appreciate slowly run races. Now, we must always abide by the fact that the, a horse's final time is some product of the way that it runs its race, but we learn that, that when horses go too hard, their final time suffers but we mustn't just automatically assume that a horse in the lead who gets away with even fractions. Therefore, we must discard everything else that occurs afterwards. So, in assessing the unbeaten maximum security, who started life running for a tag in a maiden claimer has made rapid progress to trainer Jason Service and the owners of the West's. His Florida Derby win, I think, was really meritorious. Yeah, it's true, as I've said, that the pace was early, and Louis Saez gave him an excellent ride up front. But the fact is that for those people after the race who I heard saying the likes of Code of Honor and Bourbon War, third and fourth there, would beat him next time out, given a stronger pace, it's rather peculiar, given that they've got further and further behind as the race went on. And, yeah, it's true, if maximum security had been forced to go too hard, his, his effort would have suffered But he's a really good horse. He's a very legitimate horse. He's got early pace, which is the universal track bias, as Andy Byer once called it. And speaking of Andy Byer, this horse posted a bias speed figure of 101, which is the highest of any horse involved in the Kentucky Derby so far.
2: There
0: are three races coming up this weekend on the road to the Kentucky Derby, and I think the most fascinating one is the Santa Anita Derby, where you have three big horses in here. One we know very well, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Champion game winner. One we thought we knew well in Instagram, two huge wins as a juvenile, a lot of time off, an even run in third in the Gotham. And then a horse for Bob Baffert, we may not really know much at all, and that's Roadster, who's done well at lower levels, now he gets the class test. This is a fascinating race. How do you see this shaping up?
1: Let's deal with each of those courses that you've you've, you've teamed me up to talk about. Game Winner's Defeat in the Rebel Stakes by Omaha Beach left some thinking that Omaha Beach would beat him next time they met on the basis that Omaha Beach was stronger um, after the line. But Game Winner, I think, was, was having his first run after a layoff since the British Cup Juvenile. He didn't get the strong pace that he needs. If you look at his workout tab, he doesn't work fast at all for a buyer. Sorry, for a, a baffer horse, and I think he's a horse that's going to come into his own given longer distances to tackle. Omaha Beach, I think he's really good. And I have no hesitation in saying that these horses are the number one and number two horses in America so far, so it's obviously game winner. I'd be very interested in watching how he runs in this race. He would be my selection. Instagram, well, it was a really tough spot for him, wasn't it, um, off the layoff he, since he won the best pal stakes in, in such a fast time. He acquitted himself really well. I'd always forgive someone who loves Aqueduct. I'd always forgive a horse um, running an aqueduct first up. He'd had to ship across country as well. Easy to forgive him. Roadster has always had a massive reputation. He he started odds-on to be game-winner as a two-year-old. He made a successful comeback the other day. I don't really like his head carriage in that race. He's obviously a cult of, of loads of ability, but I think he's more substance it's more about style and substance at the moment, however, and so I think he has got something to, to prove. So of the three of them, I think that game winner will show that he can move forward off his rebel defeat and that, that given a strong gallop, stronger than there, where they only went a fairly steady pace to halfway, I think he can reassert himself and show us that he's the most competitive and classy animal in the division.
0: Signal Man, whom we mentioned before, will be running in the Bluegrass, which is also an interesting race. Win-win-win is supposed to go there, Vacoma. And then you have the Wood Memorial with the Gotham winner, Call. Are any of these horses interesting enough to you as potential Derby winners?
1: Me? I'm not sure they are. No, I'm not sure they are. I certainly think that win-win-win, we'll I'll start with him. I mean, He disappointed in the Tampa Bay Derby. Um, it's possible he had an excuse there. He tried to make his move... Uh, whilst running wide maybe we can forgive him that the coma looks like we you know how good he is a high cow benefited from a pace meltdown in his race in short i see these races as being secondary i think they're horses who are scrapping it out to sort of be the ninth and tenth and eleventh ranked horses on the triple crown trail so i think to be honest the santa anita derby and the arkansas derby which is to come are going to be the most interesting races to watch
0: Without a doubt. With Improbable running in the Arkansas Derby, to me, the best horse in the country, Bob Baffert, has an embarrassment of riches. But there's one horse I wanted to mention. Speaking of what we consider to be secondary races, there's one we haven't really mentioned on this show in the last couple of weeks. Cutting Humor, now another twist of fate, lets loose and down the center, tries to run down, Cutting Humor, Cutting Humor, another twist of fate, another twist of fate, coming with every stride as they go to the wire, Cutting Humor, just got in. Set a track record in winning the Sunland Derby a couple of weeks ago. We haven't really discussed him. I mean, a track record is a track record, even at a track that isn't considered to be among the premier ones in the country. I don't know what attention you've given him. What do you think of cutting humor for Todd Pledger and Starlight Racing?
1: Yeah, he's, a, he's definitely a legitimate horse. Yeah, I watched that race and, and enjoyed it. I mean, it was a desperate finish in the end. And another twist of fate, who had won the El Camino Real Derby, wildly impressive the time before, was cutting into his margin uh, close home on a, on a rapid, at a rapid level. It could be that he'd done quite a lot of running in that race, cutting humor. I, I think he is definitely a horse that we need to know more about. He's improving and unexposed, and I'm not surprised that you, that you are uh, keen on seeing more of him, because so am I, because I don't think there's a great deal of strength in depth when you get beyond the two horses I think really deserve to dominate, which is Game Winner and Omaha Beach. I see these horses are so far clear of everything else in my estimations. And I think that because you don't know either of those two horses is going to turn up and give their running at Churchill Downs, they've still, got to, they've still got to come through a trial after that. I think that the final round of trials, as it always does, is really going to inform us greatly, especially given that these races are nine furlongs. And i try to explain to my colleagues over here in, in England the difference between an eight-and-a-half furlong race on dirt and a nine-furlong race on dirt is quite profound over here on Turf. We'd think nothing of it. We'd think it was a minor detail. But we know in those two turn races that the long-winded horses, the long-leg stairs, really come alive when they get that extra distance to finish off. And I think the final round of trials, which are nine foes, we've already had a couple of those, but I think they're going to be hugely informative this year.
0: Wow, you really think Game Winner and Omaha Beach are that much better than Improbable?
1: I definitely do, yeah. Uh, I was impressed with Improbable's two-year-old form, but the, I think the way I handicap horses as far as the derby is concerned is I'm looking how they finished their races. And I think Improbable's pedigree, even though he has some support for stamina on his side, I just don't think he'll go the distance. I think he might be the most naturally brilliant horse in the lineup. But if you take measurements of, say, the end of the Rebel Stakes, I think the point about the Rebel Stakes and the Omaha Beach game-winner matchup is those two horses were hitting the line really hard over eight and a half furlongs. And both horses, although Omaha Beach is by Wallfront, I still think both horses, once they hit nine and ten furlongs, are going to separate themselves from the rest of the crop. I think they're the number one and 1A horses in the race. I couldn't actually pick between them. Whereas I think improbable, I don't see that he's going to improve for the extra distance. He had the field stone cold in the other division of the Rebel, and he got run down by a horse really who had no right to beat him on form, who I think he was about 10 points slower on bio-speed figures. But he got run down because I don't think he really wants the extra distance. We'll see whether that's true or not in the final rounds of trials. He's been working in blinkers as well, improbable, which I'm not sure I'm particularly fond of, whereas Omaha Beach's works have been absolutely sensational for a horse who physically looks like a real strong, staying type. I think he's got the lot Omaha Beach. Omaha Beach makes his move. Omaha Beach, a length in front of
2: Market King. Then comes Game Winner. And here comes Game Winner up after Omaha Beach. These two go to the quarter pole one, two. Omaha Beach, three quarters of a length from Game Winner, who is pushed along now by Joel Rosario. Here's Captain Von Trapp running a good race. He's up into third. They run to the top of the stretch. Omaha Beach is in front. He has a two length lead on Game Winner, who has to Go right now Omaha Beach past mid-stretch now a length and a half game winner trying to gun him down on the money and Rosario says it's game time game winner
1: Omaha Beach right together in Omaha Beach I think he turned him away and if he if it it wasn't that he was up against a horse with brilliant two-year-old form in game winner who He's a long winded type himself. I would think he's a magnificent wager. I've told everybody I know here that the sixteen to one available with European bookmakers about Omaha Beach is absolutely tremendous value. And I hope that my opinion can survive the Arkansas Derby blading <laughs> to do if it can't.
0: One more here for James Willoughby. You've talked about the horses you think should be on top, and we've talked about a couple of potential dark horses. Is there a horse that is under the radar that, according to your statistical analysis, we should be paying more attention to than we are?
1: Mm, That's a tricky one, given what I've already said. I was disappointed to see War of Wills tame Surrender in the Louisiana Derby. I thought he had star potential.
0: Oh, that didn't surprise Um, me at all. I didn't think much of his win in the Risen Star, and I still don't think uh, he is top material
1: on the basis right you think he picked off fields of inferior horses in, right. in the trials yeah i, I wouldn't screw that but he, he looked like he had a lot of speed and um, he was a warfront horse as well or he's a warfront horse as well he could bounce back um i guess but yeah i'm not surprised to hear you you say that so i think i shall nominate by my standards this is an un- unheralded horse As they come for home with under a quarter of a mile to go. And it's Spinoff who's taking a short lead from a battling by my standards. Sueno then Country
0: House. It's Spinoff and by my standards for Gabriel Saez. It's
1: by my standards and Spinoff by my standards at 22 to 1 to win the Louisiana Derby. And whilst many people have played down the quality of his performance and he comes from a smaller stable. I think that he's another horse who, despite his pedigree, has got no right to really be a 10 furlong horse. I think he probably will would be my nomination in this category. I think with a longer distance to run out, I think he can improve still further. And just as he surprised people off his maiden breaker, he might surprise people again.
0: With all due respect to uh, the holiday season, I say this is the most wonderful time of the year, (laughs) that four or five weeks leading into the Kentucky Derby. Oh, James Willoughby, I'm not going to sleep tonight. You've got me all fired up. Thank you so much. (laughs)
1: Uh, It's no
0: problem. Our thanks once again to James Willoughby and to David Burnson. The drastic sweeping measures debuting now at Santa Anita, like phasing out Lasix and reducing the use of the whip, are being positioned as watershed moments in American racing, but I wonder if this is merely just a blip. Twelve years ago, the California Horse Racing Board mandated that all state tracks abandon their beloved dirt in favor of a synthetic surface done in the name of safety to decrease the odds of horses getting hurt. Well, that experiment lasted eight years, but by 2015, only Golden Gate had synced The rest switched back, which makes me wonder how long these Santa Anita regulations will last before officials reverse their tack. While these reforms are worthy of an industry-wide debate and might be steps forward in the big picture, I'm not sure they will solve the immediate problem at Santa Anita, where at an alarming rate, fatal breakdowns have occurred.